Welcome to Enneagram Conversations with Jackie Brewster and Courtney Barman, where you'll uncover and discover more about yourself and others through the helpful tool of the Enneagram. I'm your host, Julie Underwood. So today we have a special guest, Jonathan Carone. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, how are you guys? Nice to have you on our podcast today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am from a little town no one's ever heard of in North Carolina named King. We are just north of Winston-Salem. I run a marketing and web design agency that uh, primarily works with churches, nonprofits, and businesses to help them do their marketing in a way that uh, sets them up so that they serve their clients really well, which is really fun for me because it's a totally different approach than what most marketing agencies do. So that's what I do business-wise. Family-wise, I have been married to Nicole since 2012. And I got two kids, a uh, six-year-old. And I think by the time this comes out, Olivia will be eight. So a uh, six and eight-year-old, we're right in the middle of it. Uh, soccer season, dance, all that stuff's going on right now. So it's a bit of a, a wild time around here. All right. So Jonathan, we love to introduce our guests with a couple questions to get to know you. So are you up for a little quick round? Let's do it. Yes. What is your favorite Starbucks order? Uh, I don't drink coffee. So I don't go to Starbucks because their hot chocolate is terrible. So give me Dr. Pepper. Me too. I love a good Dr. Pepper. Yes. All right. So what is your favorite childhood movie? I don't know if this is my favorite, but the first thing that popped in my head is Mighty Ducks. Oh, oh that's a yeah. great one. Good choice. So yeah. like anything and there's there was that span from like 92 to 95 where you had Mighty Ducks, Rookie of the Year, um, Major League, like all those baseball, hockey, sports movies. And I'm, I'll watch all of them. And Three Ninjas. And Cool Runnings. Cool Runnings was in there. Yes. <laughs> yes. All of those. You give me any of those, I'm happy. That's great. I loved Rookie of the Year. And I watched it the other day and I was like, I don't know what I liked about this movie, but I loved it. was terrible. It when I was like all of, them are, all of them are terrible, though. Yeah. That's the thing. Like Sandlot, Sandlot stands up a little bit, but most of those from that time are absolutely terrible. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't care. We watched Grease this weekend. And I gave my husband and family like a warning. I was like, hey, because he's like, oh, I've never seen it. We should watch this. And I was like, do you know anything about this movie? And he's like, no, not really. And I'm like, it's just like a lot of sexual, not even undertones, but like overtones. And he's like, okay, well, whatever you think. And so by this point, the kids are like, let's do it. I'm like, okay. So now my, my son will not stop like moving his hips. Like Danny, and he's like, please call me Danny Zuko. Like we're waiting in line to eat. And he's like <laughs> doing who knows what as we wait. And I'm like, we just saw Grease. So sorry. But again, I'm like, does this oh hold up? It's gosh. not great. No. So anyways. That is so good. All right, Jonathan, what is your Enneagram number? I am a seven. Jackie, you probably know better than I do what the wing is. I, I feel like I tap into both uh, depending on the situation and what I need to. So I don't know that one dominates more than the other. I think you are pretty well-rounded in that, that six and that eight for sure. So you're a six, seven, eight. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what do you love about being your Enneagram number, about being a seven? I think one of the things I like the most about it is that I am not what people think of when they think of the seven. They think it's just that always happy-go-lucky, flighty type of person, and I am not that. So when I tell someone I'm a seven and they don't normally believe me, they, they normally think I'm something else, but then I, t I tell them about it. So I think the surprise of the unexpectedness of people not recognizing or realizing it and then getting to explain it. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. It's, it's fun for me. I would love to hear you explain it. So if people don't know, Jackie was my coach 
is my coach. So she's the one who, who helped me discover all this. I was mad when she said I was a seven <laughs> because I didn't think I was a seven because all of my preconceived notions of a seven were not what I wanted to be. So when I tell people this, like what I am, it comes back to the core fear and the core motivation. Uh, like the core fear of being in pain, the motivation of escaping all that. Like to me, when, when Jackie explained that to me, I was like, oh, okay, that one's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, when like when you look at all the typical Instagram memes or whatever of the different Enneagram numbers, the seven is the person who just goes out and seeks to have fun all the time and doesn't want to commit to anything. And I'm, that's not me. So learning the core fear and the core motivation behind it is what kind of unlocked it for me and helped me see it for what it actually is. So good. All right, Jonathan, we're talking about outlook groups this month. So Jackie, can you give us an overview of the outlook groups and what exactly that means? Yes. And Jonathan, this might kind of be new to you too, because this is something that's new in the book that I just that I just wrote, The Enneagram in Your Marriage. But the outlook-based groups are the hormonic groups. They break down how each Enneagram type deals with conflict and disappointment. Uh, outlook-based groups provide awareness and give helpful perspective to see the world through different lenses. So there's the competency, reactive, and positive. And so the Enneagram numbers ones, three, fives are in this competency group, and they are the ones that are like head down, get it done, uh, not necessarily looking for an emotional reaction or a response. They just want it, you know, more task oriented. Let's get this thing going. Let's just try to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. Um, then we've got the reactive group, which is the four, six, and eights. They need an emotional reaction. They like something mirrored back to them for them to be able to process the information. Um, and then the positive outlook group, which is what you're in that two, seven, nine is grass is greener. Um, it's going to be fine. There's a lot of reframing, a lot of, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. And just even with your children thinking about this with, when we've got kids and this positive outlook group, we're like, it's going to be fine. Just dust yourself off. It's going to be fine. So when we're talking about this today, uh, in our last podcast, we went more in depth, but, we just have questions for you when it comes to these outlook groups. And what do you think about this, this positive outlook and how you've seen it work in your life? When you said that the first thing that popped into my mind was one of our sessions together, we were talking because it was a few years ago, Owen was, I think three at the time we had just moved and he was having a lot of outbursts to where we called him a sour patch kid because he would get overwhelmed and he, he was just learning to talk, just learning to kind of say some of those things. And he couldn't get his emotions out and he would do stuff. And I told Jackie, I would laugh. Like I would sit there and cause it was ridiculous to me. Like you're throwing this tantrum and I would laugh. And she challenged me to actually feel what he's feeling in that moment and let myself do that as opposed to going to that positive of laughing, which was escaping what was actually going on. So I don't know if that answers the question, Jackie, but that's exactly where I went that when when you were first talking about those outlet groups, that's how I would describe that for me, at least. That is a great picture, you know, like uh, of what that kind of looks like in real time. Well, the, the interesting thing for me, and you guys can speak into this if you want. Now that I know I do that, I find myself swinging the pendulum too, sometimes too far the other direction. So the example I'll give with that is yesterday our daughter's really into crafting and making stuff and with her Barbies and her dolls and all those things. And she'd been asking us to get this foam stuff from the Dollar Tree for like a month. And we just haven't had time to do it. And last time my wife was there, they didn't have it. And we kept telling Olivia, no, and I just felt bad for saying no so many times. So I was going out to the store. I was like, Hey, we can run in there. That's all we're looking for. We're not getting anything else. 
And so we went in, they didn't have it. So we were going to Walmart to do a pickup. She's like, why can't we go in the store and go look and see if Walmart has it? Well, we don't have time to do that. Well, we never have time to do anything, blah, 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 blah. So we go into that conversation and how we never let her buy anything, even though she's got a crap ton of stuff in her room that she never plays with. <laughs> so like, I go into over explain mode. Like, I want her to understand, like, I get why you're feeling this. I understand you're doing that. Like, here's why we aren't getting the toys when you want the toys. And here's what we'll do instead. And then at one point, like, she's just really mad at me. Like, she, I asked her which way she wanted to go home. She goes, the longest way to get there. So I'm taking, I'm taking all the back roads back home, just driving. And I was like, look, you can, like, I'm okay with you being disappointed in me. I'm okay with you not like not liking this answer or whatever. I will always try to explain to you why we said no. So it's like, and I'm okay if you're upset, but I don't want you to be mean. That's kind of like the rule in our house has become, you can be mad, but you can't be mean. Yes. And so I, oh I've gone gosh. from say that all the time, ignoring it completely to possibly over explaining it. I think I would rather be on the over explaining side than I would be on the ignoring side. That's so good. It sounds like your self-awareness has just, like you're saying, it's like it kind of has maybe swung from like maybe not so much to now. It's like, okay, I'm going to be super aware of this. And even if I'm overshooting it a little bit, I'm okay with that because I'd rather be on that side of things. So like, how would you say, you know, learning about the Enneagram has helped you understand maybe others in, in work settings or, you know, like you said, like family um, settings, how you maybe interact with them just in general? So a couple answers. My wife is a one hardcore one, like hardcore one. So I, <laughs> Jackie's just smiling cause she knows. Um, <laughs> so that that's helped me with her understand. Like when I have an idea and she immediately starts asking questions about it, it's not because she's crapping on the idea. She's doing it to protect me. And she's trying to think through the things that maybe I wouldn't think through when like, all I want her to do is say, yes, yeah, that sounds like a fun idea because I'm probably going to forget about it in two days, which is just the way I work. Um, so, but it helps me understand like she's not being a jerk to me, but also there are times that where I'm like, Hey, you don't have to be perfect right now. Like there's no right answer in this situation. Like there's no wrong answer to where you want to eat dinner tonight. Like you don't have to choose the exact <laughs> right thing. So with her, like learning that it helps me kind of navigate how I talk to her, how, how we navigate problems. But in business, I mean, every single one of my clients is different. And like, I can sometimes pick up on what people are just through the interactions in the first part, but I build websites. So by nature, there's going to be a revision process. And uh, I have a site right now that is six months overdue because the revisions have just taken so long. And thankfully I know the client, I've known them for almost a decade at this point. So I was able to say, I was like, hey, I, I started of asked them, I was like, what's your Enneagram number? Because I knew they knew. And when they told me it was a one, I was like, okay, well, here's the thing. This website does not have to be perfect when we launch it. We do not need to let perfect get in the way of published. Like, so like we, we will, Ooh, we will good. get things down. But there are things that we're going to miss no matter how long we take. There are things that we're going to miss, but you're seeing how easy it is to make edits. So it's kind of like coaching them along on that, on that process. Or ha I've worked with a two before where, they would go back to every single person on their executive team and get input on it because they were wanting to make sure the needs of every single person in leadership were met. And it was slowing the process down. It's like, at some point, you're the person in charge of this project. I just need you to make a decision or you need to trust me as the expert in the, in the project that this is what's best for you. 
and I'll explain things as much as I possibly can. So it's kind of like understanding how they're wired. It helps me coach them through the process because the revisions process becomes a psychological coaching system. Like it's, it's, it's not just, it goes from design to my undergrad degree. My minor is in coaching, athletic coaching, but coaching. And so I turn into coach to get things done as opposed to like, I'm not the designer anymore. I'm not the marketer anymore. I am the coach to try to get you to understand where I'm wanting to take us. That's a really interesting switch. And I bet you uh, wouldn't have seen how useful that was going to be on the onset of, <laughs> no, of designing websites and working with clients. But you're, you're absolutely right because you, you really are. You're kind of helping them step by step figure out what matters and why it matters. And um, I'm married to a one as well. And so I can relate very much um, <laughs> to what you're saying. You know, we at one it's point we so were training fun. for, oh, it's, yeah, yeah it, it really is. We were training for a half marathon once and we only had like an hour or something like before we had to go do something. And he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I don't have enough time. And I'm like, well, can't you just go run for an hour? He's like, no, I can't get my seven miles. And so I can't do it. And I'm like, but it's kind of to your point. It's kind of like, but five miles is better than no miles. And it's like, no, it's, it's not good enough. I can't do it. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going for a run. I'm like, whatever, I'm good. <laughs> so it's just different how you like what you said from that, like, Published is better than perfect. You know, it's kind of that same mind frame. I'll give you an example from this weekend that we're living through. So a week and two days from now, we are waking up at three o'clock in the morning, putting the kids in the car, driving to the airport and flying to Disney. Our kids have no clue what's coming. And they like, Olivia says she doesn't think we're going back to Disney until she's 10. So it's a total surprise type of thing. This weekend, kids were at grandma's so that we could get some of the stuff done and packed with them not here. We got to a point where there's only so much you can do nine days in advance. And Nicole's like, I don't know what to do. I just have lists going in my head, but I can't do any of them. I was like, all right, well, we have to set it aside. We can't get it done right now. And it took her a minute, but finally she's like, okay. And then she made her list of all the things she needs to remember to do. And so she has a list that that Tuesday night after they go to bed, here's what we're, put, here's what we're putting in bags. Here's what we're putting in cars so that when we wake them up in the morning, we can just throw them in the car and drive the two hours to the airport without having to worry about stressing that much. But she was almost in that, like, I can't get it all done right now spiral that can take over with the one. And thankfully she was able to get out of it. But that was one of the things that we had to do because about 30 minutes into the packing, I was done. I'm like, all right, we hit, we, nothing else can happen today. Let's, let's, let's go do something else. Kids aren't home. Let's go do something. Uh, But she, she had her list of things she had to get done. And yeah, that, we just had to get to a point where she could set it aside and be done with it. It's so interesting because I'm an Enneagram seven like you, Jonathan, but the stress side of that one comes out for me and it like, I end up acting like your wife in these situations and I'm like, uh, I'm like, I've got spreadsheets. I've got, everybody has a list. Like I, I go crazy and Steve and I were talking, so he's an Enneagram three, my husband. And we were talking just this week around um, how rigid I've become the older I get in uh, the day-to-day of what I do. And so uh, there is this like predictability that I crave, but I do think it's just the the weight of the world, like everything that's on your shoulders and, and kind of how that comes out. But, you know, sevens definitely get pegged, like you said early on in, the, in our conversation today, they get pegged as like flighty and just up for anything. And um, man, I don't, I'm probably more like, yeah, I don't see myself in that way anymore. Um, but I definitely can relate to your wife in the packing. In my mind, because I, I work from home. So 
to use that example, like that Tuesday, I've already got it on my schedule. I'm going to take the dog to the, to the uh, border. I've, I've blocked my schedule off. So I'm not taking meetings that day. All my projects should be done on Monday. So I have all day Tuesday to get stuff done because Tuesday night, kids have soccer practice. Daughter has dance practice. And I have a baseball game that night too. So Nicole's got to get the kids to practice. I'm at the baseball game till nine 30, nine 45. And I've already, but in my mind, I'm like, all right, I'll take a nap later earlier in the day. I'll get the, the stuff out of their rooms that needs to get out of the rooms. Cause nobody will be home. And she's like, well, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. And I'm like, all right, I'll get it done. Like I have eight yeah. hours that day. And so for me, I'd already made the checklist in my head. The one, like that one that we go to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had, I had to communicate that to her to let her know like, Hey, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. And she's like, well, I don't want to make you have to do that. I'm like, I blocked. Like when we booked this trip, my whole <laughs> idea was, yeah, I'm going to do it that day because I work from home and make my own schedule. So I don't have to request an extra day of PTO to take off the day before to plan. It's just, I'll just do it. So you do have it planned. You, you do have it organized and planned. Yeah. It's just so interesting. I love to hear from, um, different guests and I love to hear from different people on social media, reading books, you know, through different authors and things like that around Enneagram. Cause I, everybody's perspective is so different. Okay. If you had, you know, if you could leave us with two aha things, that has just really helped with your awareness um, or growth, you know, that you've gained through Enneagram awareness in your life? What are two big things that you feel like this work that we've done together and that you've continued to do through the years has helped you um, be the man that you are today? Yeah, I blame you for both of them. Uh, (laughs) The first one is that I intellectualize my feelings to protect myself from feeling them. Can you say that again too? Say that again and then explain a little bit more. Yeah. So I intellectualize my feelings to protect myself from having to feel them. So the way that that works itself out in practice, someone did something that was less than nice to me around me. Well, what type of day were they having? What was going on in their life? What was, what were the things that got us to where we we are for them to react like that? If I can understand why they did that, then it doesn't hurt as much as opposed to just allowing the fact that hey, this person was a jerk to me and that hurt and I didn't like it. Uh, So in Mm -hmm. some ways it's healthy. Mm -hmm. In some ways it is an avoidance tactic so I don't have to feel the things that um, that I need to. I lost both my parents over the course of three and a half years and didn't cry a single time throughout the whole process because I was intellectualizing the whole thing. Um, It was Mm -hmm. a few months after dad died that I finally started processing some of that in a different way. But I intellectualized all of it to keep going because there was so much to deal with that if I was to to process it all emotionally at the time, I would not have been able to do all the things I needed to do. So that's that's one way I will get around that. Same way, like the thing with the kids. Like I used to just like, this is silly. They're not going to remember this. So whatever. Instead of like, no, my kid's hurting right now. I need to feel that so that I can be a better dad to them. Um, so that's the first thing that I do. And then... Um, the second thing that I did not realize that has completely changed the way I approach things is I never learned how to process disappointment as a kid. Uh, in our house, it was a loud Italian house. It was, and we did, we didn't have a ton of money. My parents did whatever they could to get by. So it was be thankful for what you have as opposed to whining about what you don't have. So I never learned how to process that idea of disappointment or things not going my way. So if anything looked like it could not go my way, I would either bail on it or I wouldn't even try it in the first place. I would give up instead of doing the hard work to keep it going 
or I would just, hey, that's too much work. I'm not going to do that. There's too much risk there. So when I was disappointed and stuff, I didn't realize it was disappointment that I was feeling. It was more anger or failure or something like that as opposed to, no, I'm just disappointed that didn't, that didn't go the way I wanted it to. So I'm, Jackie, that's probably what, three years ago we had that conversation. I'm still having to process that. Mm -hmm. That one's a big one that I'm having to learn, unlearn, like dissect through a bunch of stuff with that. Um, So the other one was the intellectualizing was easier to process and acknowledge. The disappointment one is one that still like creeps up and hits me in ways that I don't expect it to at times. But what I will say is Nicole knows that about me now. I've told her that. So she's actually said before, she goes, are you sure you're not just disappointed? And I'm like, I might be. And like, I kind of fight back at first because I mean, it's just when, when, when you're, when someone calls you on your, on an emotion, you're not used to feeling, you're going to push back and say no. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, I'm to the point I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you, no, I'm probably going to push against this, but you might be right. And then I have to go away, intellectualize mm-hmm. the whole thing, feel it again. And then I understand like, yeah, this was a disappointment thing. That is so important, I think, for a lot of people to hear around disappointment or other emotions. So when I think about anger or when I work through different emotions with clients, um, oftentimes I just say, it's kind of like we're going to walk down into the basement of your emotions. So we're going to open the door. The first emotion that most of us feel or react to is anger. But I am curious around what sits below anger. And so it is this prompting, it's this this offering um, for us to explore that a little bit more and what, what would that actually look like? And so the fact that even three years later, you're still actively doing this, um, that is incredible growth work. And I love to see that, you know, especially for Enneagram sevens who, you know, we try to avoid those lower emotions. A lot of the times it is, you guys, we just didn't know what to do with them. Uh, We didn't, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity to work those things out or there wasn't space that anybody else was looking at us and recognizing that we had lower emotions. It was around reframing, get to the happy, people like happy people. So figure out how to, you know, be what people like. Well, and so much of this is the the defense mechanisms we put up to get love as a kid. Yes. And so in my house, it was a, hey, like, be thankful for what you've got. So I had to learn to just find the positive of like, oh, well, I didn't get this, but I did get this instead, as opposed to acknowledging this sucks that I didn't get this other thing. I'm, I'm still grateful I got what I got but I am bummed out that I didn't get this other thing. And I think that's one of the reasons why like going back to the conversation I had with Olivia in the car, like I want her to tell me when she's upset with stuff, because I want to be what my parents weren't to me. I, I want her to be able to tell me that she's disappointed so that when she's 27 years old and her job goes to crap and she doesn't burn every bridge and end up getting all but fired because that's what I did when like my first major professional life disappointment happened. Man, we've learned so much today talking to you about the Enneagram 7 and just parenting and marriage, life in general. You've had such great words of wisdom. Yeah, and I've actually really enjoyed hearing um, from a male's perspective too because with Jackie and I being a 7 and Courtney is an 8 and we all kind of fall into a lot of similar categories, it's really interesting hearing from a a male's perspective and what that looks like and and for you to be so self-aware I've learned a lot on this podcast that I think I've heard Jackie say it, but maybe it's, it's just coming from a different person. It just hits different. So thanks so much for uh, teaching me a lot today. 
And Jonathan, can you share with our audience where they can find you in addition to um, your website? Yeah, I am at Jonathan underscore on all the platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. I actually have a second account on TikTok that I've been on more lately because I got burnt out on doing church stuff and seeing the ugly side of church. And I realized I needed to go just do some fun, silly stuff for a while. So um, TikTok, that's not that Jonathan is the is the username there. Uh, but I host a podcast that uh, we are actually in the process of rebranding. Uh, so in May, when the new season comes out, it'll be called Tension. Uh, all about navigating the tensions between what our culture is saying and what Jesus had for us, because there's there, the life that I think Jesus has called us to live is found in the tensions between the two extremes. So that uh, new season starts May 8th for that. Uh, but you can find every single thing that I do at JonathanCurlin.com that has newsletters, that has website, marketing stuff, all the podcasts, everything is there if you ever want to see more about me. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thank you for joining us today. Join us next time as we continue our conversation about the Enneagram and what it means for your relationships. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're there, we'd love for you to leave a review. Your kind words help others find the show. For more great Enneagram content, you can follow Jackie and Courtney on Instagram at Enneagram with JB and at Courtney B Coaching. To learn more about Jackie and her resources on the Enneagram, you can visit her at EnneagramWithJB.com. And while you're there, make sure to order her newest book, The Enneagram in Your Marriage. You can order at EnneagramWithJB.com backslash marriage. We'll see you next time on Enneagram Conversations.